of the coronavirus, all of us parents have turned into homeschool teachers. Now, it's not been easy. It's been a tough job. In fact, the first day on the job, you had to suspend two students for fighting. You had to send one student to detention for talking back. And you quickly realized that your child's teacher is grossly underpaid. And no, parents, you cannot, under any circumstances, have your kid transferred out of your class. You just can't do it. But perhaps the greatest discovery that you've had during this season is that the hardest part about battling a worldwide pandemic is teaching Common Core math. Here's the thing, parents, teach them to carry the one. That's all you need to do. Carry the one, people, come on. Forget about the Common Core and just carry the one. And then it gets worse. Because in a cruel twist of fate, you logged into our live stream this morning only to discover that we're in a teaching series that is based on a greater than, less than equation. Here's the whole idea behind this series. It's that God's grace is greater than fill in the blank. God's grace is greater than whatever you can put in that blank. God's grace is just greater than. Now, I don't know what you would put in that blank. I don't know what you would fill in. Last week, we talked about the fact that grace is greater than our sin. Grace is greater than our mistakes. Grace is greater than our shame and our regrets. And I don't know what yours are. I don't know what sins you've committed. I don't know what mistakes you've made. But I do know this. I do know that grace is greater. Now, the hard thing about teaching on grace is that that I can sit up here and I can explain it. But until you experience it, you just won't get it. See, grace is one of those things that is compelling when it is explained. But it is irresistible when it is experienced. And as followers of Christ, as, as Christians, we love to talk about God's grace. God's grace changes everything. God's grace is what we celebrate. God's grace is what brings us immeasurable joy. God's grace is all that, that our lives are about. We are so thrilled about God's grace. We love to talk about God's grace. Why? Because receiving grace is beautiful. Receiving grace is wonderful. Receiving grace is all good. In fact, we love to talk about receiving grace. But receiving grace is easy. Giving grace, that's when it gets hard. Giving grace, that's when it gets messy. Extending grace and forgiveness to someone who doesn't deserve it and to someone who can't make it right, now that's difficult. In fact, that seems impossible. Because grace is a lovely concept. As long as you're not talking about the parent who abused you. Grace is an amazing concept as long as you're not talking about the spouse that cheated on you or the coworker that stabs you in the back or the friend or boss that mistreated you. See, grace is a fine idea as long as you and I are on the receiving end of grace. But it is a whole lot messier 
when we are on the giving end of grace. Proverbs 14.10 says this, The heart knows its own bitterness. What a sad commentary on our own hearts, but it's true, isn't it? Our hearts know our own bitterness. And what that means is that we've all been hurt. Every single one of us carry around the pain of sins that have been committed against us. Every single one of us have been hurt in some way. Maybe it was, it was years ago. Maybe it was your childhood. Perhaps it was last week. But every single one of us have had sins committed against us. Every single one of us have pain and hurt. Some of you have been abandoned, betrayed, abused. Others of you have been victimized, ignored, and rejected. Some of you have been embarrassed or bullied throughout your life. And giving, God's gra- or giving grace to the person that hurts you most suddenly gets a whole lot messier. Here's what we're going to discover today. We're going to discover that grace is a two-way street. That grace goes both ways. There's both giving of grace and receiving of grace. And you can't have one without the other. You can't have receiving of grace without giving of grace. Grace goes both ways. Grace is about giving and receiving. If, you do, if, if all you do is receive grace, but you never give grace, you stop short of what grace actually is. I want to be very clear this morning. The extent to which you and I give, excuse me, the extent to which we give grace reveals the extent to which we have received grace. Let me say that again. The extent to which we give grace reveals the extent to which we have received grace. In other words, the litmus test for our understanding of the gospel is the extent to which we give grace and we offer forgiveness to the person that has hurt us the most and deserves it the least. That's the litmus test for our understanding of the gospel. Are we ha- are, do we have the ability to extend grace, to offer grace to the person that doesn't deserve it, to the person that has hurt us the most, to the person that has is, that is caused us the most pain? When we are able to offer grace and extend grace to that person, we are getting, beginning to understand and grasp the gospel. See, Matthew 18 Peter, who was one of the, one of the uh, disciples of Jesus, he came to Jesus and he asked him a question. And it's a generic question, but I have no doubt that, that Peter had a specific situation in mind when he asked it. And here's what he asked in Matthew 18, verse 21. He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? In other words, is seven times greater than grace? No doubt Peter thinks he's being generous. I actually believe Peter's thinking, man, Jesus is going to he's going to be excited about this answer. Why? Because Jewish rabbis in that day, they believed that you only had to offer grace 3 times. And on the fourth time if somebody committed a sin against you on the fourth time, you don't have to forgive them anymore. And so so Peter's saying, man, you have to Jesus is it 7 times is 7 times greater than grace. 
Is, all, is, is it the amount of time I have to forgive someone seven times? I, I think he's getting ready to, to receive accommodations from Jesus. I think he's waiting on Jesus to say, man, well done, good and faithful servant. Peter, you're such an amazing disciple. I wish the rest of these guys would be just like you. Wow, man, you're offering forgiveness seven times. Perhaps when Peter asked this, he had someone in mind. Although we're never told, we don't know what he's, who, who he has in mind, we don't know what the situation is, but maybe he thought he's been pretty gracious. Perhaps he's offered forgiveness and offered grace to someone, I'm guessing somewhere around seven times. Someone had heard him, not once, not twice, but seven times, and Peter is done. He's finished. He's tired of offering grace. He's tired of offering forgiveness. He's been hurt way too many times. You ever been there? I know I have. I know in my own life I've had times where I'm just, I'm just done. Like I can't offer forgiveness anymore. I can't extend grace anymore. Perhaps for you it's not the amount of times you've been hurt, but the degree to which you've been hurt. Maybe that person stepped into your life and, and rather than hurting you seven times, they hurt you only one time. But the pain has been multiplied times seven. Whatever it is, Peter's walking up to Jesus and he's asking this question. We don't know who he's talking about, but it's safe to assume it's someone close. Because the reality is, the people that are closest to us, the people that we know and love the most, have the power to inflict the most damage in the deepest wounds. For most of us, when we hear this question, it brings up a name and a story. I have no doubt that many of you are picturing that person that's hurt you in your mind right now. You're recalling the story of what happened right now. And many of us would love to go and ask Jesus the exact same question, wouldn't we? I know I would. Jesus, when, when is hurt, when is the hurt that's been done to me greater than the grace you want me to offer? When is hurt greater than grace when does grace run out well thankfully jesus answers peter and he says in verse 22 he says i do not say to you seven times but 77 times what's jesus saying he's saying we'd have to start carrying around a tally sheet and say okay well you've sinned against me 57 times 20 more times and you're done pal no, that's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying it's, seven, it's, it's, uh, it's 77 times. He's not even saying it's 490 times. Some of your translations may say 70 times 7. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's not saying that we keep a record, we keep a tally. What Jesus is saying is that grace is never less than. Grace is never less than. Grace is always, always, always greater. Now, before you get defensive... Jesus is not dismissing the pain that you've experienced. He's not downplaying what has been done to you. He's not ignoring the betrayal or the degree of your pain. That's not what he's doing at all. He's simply saying that God's grace is greater than all of that. Now, as Christians, I, I believe that oftentimes we can, we can willingly accept that at some level intellectually. We may even buy into it and believe it simply because Jesus said it, but emotionally, the equation just doesn't work. 
Because the pain is so deep, the hurt is so, so powerful, the equation just doesn't work. It doesn't seem like offering forgiveness and offering grace is even possible. And ultimately what Jesus is saying is this, you and I will never be asked to give more grace than the grace that we've received through Him. Think about that. He's saying that you and I will never be asked to give more grace than the grace that we have received through Jesus. Pretty remarkable to think about, isn't it? And, and the reality is when I begin to focus and understand and grasp the holiness of God, when I grasp the goodness of God, when I grasp the majesty of God, and I begin to compare that to my own sin, and I begin to understand the depth of the sin that is within my heart, oh man, when I begin to put those two together, I realize the amount of grace that Jesus has offered me is astronomical. I begin to realize that, that God's grace is far more than I can even imagine. The more I understand God's holiness and the more I understand my sin, the more I realize just how much grace Jesus has given me. And the more I realize just how much grace I'm to offer to others. Why? Because you'll never be asked to give more grace than what has been offered to you through Jesus. Now, I admit, this is not easy. It's not easy. It's the messy part of grace, right? This is not simple. This is not easy. In fact, this is impossible to do apart from God's grace in your own life. Honestly, this is a, it's, it's, I, I view this as a continuous journey of giving grace and forgiveness. It's a continuous journey of giving grace and forgiveness because we've received grace and forgiveness. Now, I wish I could say this is a one-time thing. Someone hurts you, you just go and you forgive them at one moment. In one time, you just say, I forgive you and you're done. But that's not the way it works. All of us can attest to that. We all understand that that's not how it works. Someone hurts you, you may offer grace and forgiveness. But those wounds are still there. That pain is still there. And you have to continually go back and offer grace and forgiveness. Why? Because we've received grace and forgiveness. That's the way this works in our lives. But the question becomes this. The question becomes, how do I begin to offer grace and forgiveness to the person that's hurt me the most and deserves it the least? The following verses in, 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 in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable, and, and this parable illustrates what grace looks like. Now, I encourage you to go and read that. That's not what I'm going to be teaching on today, but I, I encourage you to go and read it. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. And it gives a beautiful picture of the debt that we owed compared to, uh, compared to God's goodness and His grace and the fact that He's forgiven us and we're to offer and extend that same grace to others. But to discover, what I want us to discover today is where do we begin? Where do we begin this journey of grace and forgiveness to people that have hurt us the most and, love us and, and, and deserve it the least? And to do so, I want to look at a case study. And I want to look at a case study of a man who teaches us the first step that you and I should take on this journey of giving grace. Because the reality is you, we tend to, to deal with our anger and deal with our pain and deal with our hurt in one of three ways. 
And I think we could all kind of look at, look at various areas of our lives and see these three areas, these three ways showing up. Two of them, they, they cause us to stop making progress. They actually are setbacks in our lives. But one of them helps us grow to maturity. One of them brings about freedom. The first way we do this, when we've been hurt, when we've been wounded, when we're carrying around that sin, when our heart knows the bitterness that Proverbs 14 talks about, one of the ways we do this is we repress it. We just sweep it under the rug. Instead of surrendering to God, we just push the hurt and pain down and we try to repress it. And we think we're successful if, if we just refuse to let it surface. We think we've won and conquered it if we just leave it alone and, and, and push it under the rug and, and just leave it there. A lot of us have been taught to deal with it this way, right? A lot of us have taught to deal with our emotions in that way. We don't let anyone see them. We put them in the closet. We close the door. We lock the door. The problem is when we repress these emotions, when we repress the hurt and the pain that we've experienced, when we repress the, the evil that has been done to us, things get toxic. We read this verse last week, and it's kind of the theme verse for this series, and it's Hebrews twelve fifteen. It says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See, when we repress our anger, when we repress our hurt, when we repress that pain, what does it say? It says it leads to bitterness that can cause us to miss the grace of God. It can cause us to miss out on the grace of God. So how do you know if you're repressing anger and bitterness? How can you do a self-evaluation? Here's one way. If you become disappropriately angry at little things. What is that? That's just those toxins seeping out. It's like you completely losing your mind on the guy that cuts you off in traffic. Even though the, 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 what, the wrath that you pour out him is, is disproportionate to the evil he's done to you. But yet, what is that? That's just those toxins coming out. That things that you've repressed for so long are bubbling up to the surface. Or if you're just getting incredibly angry at the person at the grocery store that has uh, 15 items in a 12-item line. I mean, you're like, what is wrong with this person? You just want to strangle them. That, what is that? That's that bitterness rising up. Those toxins rising up. Another thing we do, when, another way to tell if we're repressing our... Our, our hurt and our pain is, is this, that we complain about everything. Everything. What is that? That's bitterness. You're constantly complaining. The other one is this, you're overly sensitive and defensive. And you're going to say, no, I'm not. Those are ways we can tell if, that's, if we're trying to repress it. We we're, we're, get angry over the little things. We complain about everything, and we're overly sensitive and defensive. You say, well, nobody's told me I'm overly sensitive and defensive. Yeah, because you're overly sensitive and defensive. They're not going to tell you. They're just going to ignore you. If you're repressing those things, it's going to, it's going to keep you from experiencing the grace of God. It's going to cause you to miss out on the grace of God. So the first thing we do is we repress it. The second thing we do is we, we relive it. We don't repress it. No, we play it again over and over and over in our minds. We rehearse it. We rehash it. We sit down with our popcorn and it's like a DVR and we just show that clip over and over and over again. Thinking that if I forget about this, I will let that person get away with it. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, In your anger, do not 
sin. What's he saying? Paul is saying that there are times where we can be angry and not sin. Simply being angry is not, is not sinning, but what he is saying is that in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. See, what happens, resentment that we hold on to gives the, devil, gives the devil a base camp to carry out his mission to destroy our lives. Jesus said in John 10 that we have an enemy and his goal is to seek, kill, and destroy. And when you and I hold on to resentment, when we hold on to bitterness, what we're doing is we're allowing the devil to set up a camp in our hearts in order to, to kill us, in order to destroy us. It's been said that not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. The problem is the only person that's killing is you. The only person that kills is me when I hold on to resentment. Then Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, verse 30, just a few verses down, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Right after saying, do not, uh, do not sin while you're angry, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, in that context, when we begin to rehearse our anger, when we begin to rehearse our hurt, when we begin to relive it over and over and over again, what happens? Weeds of bitterness and rage begin to grow, and they begin to choke out the fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit of God is wanting to develop in our lives. So we can repress it. We can relive it. But there's a third option, and that is to release it. Now let me assure you that releasing it does not make light of what has happened to you. Releasing it does not diminish the seriousness of the offense or the severity of your pain. Releasing it may sound simple, but releasing it is extremely difficult. In fact, it's impossible to do on your own. You and I can't release the hurt and pain we've experienced and offer grace on our own. I know some of you are saying, Eric, listen, you have no clue what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. And some of you are saying, you, you, have, you have no idea about the hurt that I've experienced. And you're, yeah, you're right. Eric, you have no clue about the sin that has been committed against me. Again, you're right. And I understand that releasing it may sound like a good general concept, but seems unrealistic given your situation. I get that. That's why I want to look at a case study this morning to show us the first step toward walking this journey of giving grace. Because grace is a two-way street. We receive grace, but we also give grace. And the case study is on this man named Stephen. Now, Stephen was a leader in the church, in the early church, and Stephen was a leader during the season and a time where opposition to Christianity was on the rise. In fact, people were... were Absolutely opposed to you talking about Jesus and, and, and mentioning Jesus and following Jesus. And so Stephen goes, gathers this crowd and he begins to share with them and tell them all the great things that Jesus has done for them. He begins to talk to them about his death and his burial and his resurrection. He begins to share with them the gospel. And here's how they respond. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 7. In Acts 7, this is what happens to, to Stephen. He shares with them, and then 
beginning in verse, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. I mean, I don't know about you, I've never made anyone so mad they're just grinding their teeth at me. I mean, that's how mad they are at Stephen. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, this goes back to what we talked about earlier. When we understand the glory of God, and we understand His majesty, and we understand our sin, and all the grace that we've received, and I have no doubt that that was going through Stephen's mind when he saw Jesus. Man, just thinking about the goodness of Christ and the fact that He died on the cross for His sin, the fact that His sin debt is paid, the fact that His terminal illness has been cured. And then it goes on to say, And He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. In other words, they plugged their ears. They didn't want to hear what Stephen was saying. And they rushed together as a whole crowd. They rushed after him. And they cast him out of the city. And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That was their response to Stephen. Now, how would you respond to a group of people, an angry mob that is throwing rocks at you with the intent to kill you. I don't know about you, but my response would be, I'm going to pick up rocks and I'm going to throw them back. I'm going to sling as many rocks at those jokers as I possibly can. But what, how did Stephen respond? Listen to this. Verse 59. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He begins to pray. He begins to call out to Jesus and falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice. Again, he's praying. And what does he say? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said those words, he fell asleep. He died. Jesus looks up and he prays and he talks to God and he asks God to offer forgiveness and grace to the people that, had, that were murdering him. I don't know that would be my response, but where do you think he learned that? See, when Jesus was crucified, he prayed from the cross. And he looked down on those that had accused him. He looked down on those that had crucified him. He looked down on those that had nailed, the, the, had, had nailed his hands and feet to that wooden cross. And he said this, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus prayed that God would offer grace and forgiveness to his murderers. As I read this, I thought to myself, was Stephen that close to the cross when Jesus died that he overheard him? Or did the other disciples and the other church leaders just share that story over and over again about the grace that Jesus offered? And, and Stephen heard it and he learned it from them. We, we don't know. Then I got to thinking about Stephen. And I thought, did Stephen pray and ask God to forgive them? Because in that moment, in that moment as they were casting stones at him, in that moment as they were literally killing him, 
uh, with, with huge rocks. Did, in that moment, did Stephen pray that prayer? Because he did not have forgiveness to give. In that moment, did he ask God to forgive them? Because within himself, he couldn't muster up the ability to forgive them in that moment. I said earlier that forgiveness isn't simple. Forgiveness is incredibly hard. It's difficult, and it's even impossible to do on your own. And perhaps Stephen couldn't muster up the ability to say, I forgive you. So instead, he looks at the men who were killing him and says, God, you forgive them. Because ultimately, that was the forgiveness they needed anyway. They needed God's forgiveness. They needed God's redemption. And he looks and he prays and he asks God to forgive them. When you and I live in grace, when you and I surround ourselves with grace, when you and I walk in God's grace, Releasing doesn't mean giving up. Releasing means giving it to God. And that's exactly what Stephen does. In that moment, in the, in the worst possible position in his life, where he's literally being stoned, he gives it to God, he releases it to God. And when I say release it, it's not some arbitrary random releasing it and just forget about it. Because the reality is you and I can't forget about it. But what does it mean? It means you release it to God. You let God carry the weight of what's been done to you. You let God decide, and, 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 and you trust Him to deal with a person that's hurt you. You loosen your grip on the pain of what has been done to you, and you place it in God's hands. But here's what I want you to see. Prayer is what makes forgiveness possible. Prayer is what makes the giving of grace possible. Stephen didn't say, I forgive you. No, what did he say? He said, God, you forgive them. It's a huge difference. Why? Because prayer is what makes forgiveness possible. So if you're struggling to offer grace to someone that's hurt you, this is a pretty good place to start. Start with prayer. That's the first step. You don't go to the person and say, I forgive you. No, the first thing you need to do is you need to go to God. And you say, God, you forgive them. You do what I have been unable to do myself. Because prayer makes forgiveness possible. The first step of forgiveness, the first step of offering grace to someone that's hurt us is between us and God. That's the first step. It's not dependent upon the other person. It's not dependent upon them doing something or saying something. Because the reality is there's nothing they could do and there's nothing they could say to make it right, is there? If I could sum this up, I would do it in this way. I would say, here's, what I ask, here's where I ask you to begin. To begin that journey of the other side of grace, that side of grace that is the giving side of grace, Here's what I would encourage you to do. Here's where we begin. Stop focusing on what's been done to you and start focusing on what's been done for you. And then release that to God through prayer. Because what's been done for you is greater than what's been done to you. And prayer is what makes forgiveness and grace possible. And if you do those things by doing that, you release it to God. And here's what I believe. If Stephen can do it, 
as men are throwing stones to his death by his enemies. If Jesus could do it from the cross, I believe that you and I can do it as well. And if we ask God, this is the beautiful, beautiful part of it. If we ask God, he will give us the grace we need in order to offer grace to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is majestic. Your grace is beyond our comprehension. And we acknowledge this morning that offering grace is messy. Offering grace is difficult. And I know even as we pray, you're, we're recounting people that have wounded us and hurt us and the sins that have been committed against us. And Father, I pray that we would stop focusing on what's been done to us, but start focusing on what's been done for us. And what's been done for us is the gospel. What's been done for us is that Jesus took our sin, the punishment we deserved, and He took it to the cross, and He died on the cross for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could receive grace, so that we could receive redemption, so that we could receive salvation. Father, the first step for many of us is not going to the person that's hurt us and saying, I forgive you. The first step many of us need to take is going to you in prayer and saying, God, you forgive them. That's our first step on this journey of grace. And Father, I pray that you would give us the grace we need to take that step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.